Um, real quick before we get into what I'm teaching today, um, people have been asking me, hey, how is sabbatical? And you should ask. My, the most complete word that I can think of was it was effective. It accomplished what it was supposed to accomplish. You know, we don't grant staff and sometimes require staff to take sabbaticals um, because we expect it to be a three-month vacation. Honestly, often vacations aren't effective at all. Uh, but rather to be rejuvenated and come back better than they left. And so there's a lot of intentionality behind that. You know, we, we talk a lot about what the plan is during the sabbatical. And so as I shared with you before I left, I was really focusing on health in three or five areas. Um, one, spiritual health with just me and Jesus. I wanted to, like, bolster that. Uh, marital health, me and Emily, we had the hardest and most fruitful year of our 18 years of marriage, and we just wanted to continue that. Uh, kids, my physical health, and then my emotional health, my heart and soul. And so in every way, I was able to just be really intentional there, and, um, you know, I didn't have, it's like, I realized a week in, I was like, this is crazy. I'm not even working, and my life is full. You got three kids and a wife, and just, like, you live Life is busy, man. It's cra I was like, how is this possible? So I really had to be super intentional to carve out time. And I just had some incredible times with the Lord, him speaking to me some really specific things, some uh, that are just for me, some that I'm happy to share. Um, Emily and I, she, got, she had half of that time off. We were able to um, spend really intentional time together. And our goal was fun. You know, after 18 years of marriage, the fun can kind of like slip away. And uh, we were really just, our goal was to enjoy each other. And we are more in love than we've ever been. So thankful for that woman. And then, yeah. She's home today with our 12-year-old because he was puking for the last 48 hours. Um, and then, because I didn't have to, all this stuff running around in my head, it was just so nice to be able to spend really intentional time with my kids every day. Uh, Health-wise, man, I lost 25 pounds. Praise God. I should say I lost 25 pounds, then Thanksgiving and Christmas hit, I lost 20 pounds. <laughs> and then uh, on a heart-soul level, we've been, we've been seeing this incredible sent, sent from God counselor this whole year, such a gift from God. If you don't see a good counselor, man, I can't encourage you to em enough. Uh, my emotional well-being means that I can be a better father, a better husband, a better leader. And uh, I realized also two weeks into my sabbatical that there was going to be work to be done on my sabbatical. I felt like the Lord was like, ooh, I got you now. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. I, I feel like in every way my bandwidth has increased, which I was feeling like it was getting thin uh, toward the end of, you know, leading up to my sabbatical. And then some people have asked about music. As you may or may not know, I took a break all last year from doing any kind of my own music artist stuff, writing, recording, or touring. Um, felt like that was for a year. I have started writing a little bit. I don't know that I'll tour a whole lot this year or put out a record this year, but just so you know, I am starting to do that. Even toward the end of my sabbatical, songs were just like coming. It was really nice to feel that uh, again. So good to be with you. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 5 today. So if you have a Bible or some kind of technology, if you could flip there. John chapter 5, when you get it, say, got it. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. If you got it, say got it. All right. The rest of you, bring your Bibles to church. 
Uh, I feel like there's this expectation when a preacher takes a sabbatical that he's going to come back like Moses came back from the mountain with his face shining and some crazy revelation from God. Okay, I don't have any crazy revelation from my sabbatical. Here's my crazy revelation. Jesus. That's it. Jesus is the crazy revelation and the answer to all of life's greatest dilemmas. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. This is God's word. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the source of all things good. And our hearts are like dry earth that need your rain. We ask that you would pour out living water into us and onto us today as we look into this beautiful story of you, Jesus, and this man. We pray that we will learn what you want us to today. Thank you that you are able to take the same text and divide it up into a bunch of pieces and put it into people's hearts as you see fit. And I ask that you would do that today. I ask that you would anoint me to preach in sync with your mind and heart. I do not have anything clever enough to say to be impactful. You are my clever thing, Jesus. So speak to us as you see fit. We ask it in your name. Amen. So Jesus arrives at Jerusalem for one of the Jewish feasts. There was a few during the year. And he comes upon this pool called Bethesda. Bethesda in Aramaic, it means house of mercy, which is so cool because that's about... That's what he's about to have on this guy. And we don't know a whole lot about the pool. Um, we do know that the, history tells us there were natural springs in that area, like hot springs that would create these pools that were mineral waters. Uh, and then secular history also tells us that at, at this pool, uh, the waters would just sporadically rise, like a foot in a matter of seconds. And nobody really knew what it was. Was the water bubbling up? John tells us here that there was a, an angel that would come and stir up the water. Some of your translations don't have verse 4. It's because only half of the early manuscripts include verse 4. But that's all we know about these waters, and we don't know a whole lot about this man. We know he was sick. We know his sickness caused some kind of physical 
uh, ailments, gave him some physical problems. It doesn't appear that he's paralyzed. But his body is certainly not working like it's supposed to. All the old people say amen. And it had been this way for a very long time, 38 years. And it seems like there's no natural remedy for him, so he's searching out a supernatural one, namely the pool of Bethesda, where it was common knowledge. An angel would come, stir up the waters, and if you were the first one in or the first few in, then you would be immediately healed. And he had a good plan of how to get to his healing, right? Get as close to the waters as he could, intently watch the waters and wait for them to bubble up. And when they did, hope to God that somebody would come along and help him to get into the waters. Clear, concise plan. He just needed the right person to bring him to the right place at the right time. And this is where we often so also find ourselves as well. In some kind of significant dilemma, whether it is internal, external, waiting for all the pieces to finally come together to resolve said dilemma. And what I'd like to see today is that in the midst of this man's very good, albeit ineffective, plan, Jesus shows up and invites him to redirect his attention from his plan to a person, from a solution to a savior. The idea is this. Again, it's very simple. Jesus is basically the answer for everything. My grandpa would say it to me like this just a few weeks ago. He's, he's like seriously the coolest grandpa you've ever seen in your life. But my grandma passed away this last year, and uh, he's alone now. He's feeling he's sad, you know, and he's still preaching. He's been preaching for 40 years. And he said to me a couple weeks ago, I was on the phone. He said, he calls me man. He's like, hey, man. <laughs> so awesome. And he's like, you know what, man? My grandpa, you know what, man? Here's what I've realized after all these years. It's all about Jesus. He said, everything is about him, and he is everything. But if you're like me, you tend to make it a lot more complicated than this. Because we don't mind Jesus in our situations, but you know what I think we like even better is what I am calling our yeah, but also's. Jesus is everything, yeah. But also, you know, man, I'm, I'm down right now. I'm in a dark place. Brother, turn your eyes to Jesus. Jesus? Yeah. But also, you know, if I could just I'm really struggling right now financially. Listen, if, you're, if you have any children and you live in California, you're struggling financially. <laughs> I'm, amen. I'm struggling. Dude, turn your eyes to Jesus. Jesus, yeah. But also, if I could just, I'm calling it the yeah, but also mentality. And I think this crippled man represents this yeah, but also mentality perfectly. Yeah. You're Jesus, the one who I've been hearing about for the last years, traveling around Israel, healing people. Yeah, and now you want to heal me. Yeah, 
But also, if I could just get into the waters, then I, then I could be healed. Now, we don't know if this guy really knew who Jesus was or not, but he definitely represents to us how some of us live. We have a solution to our dilemma, and we just need to get to it. Jesus asks him, asks him, asks him do you want to be made well? Yeah. But I have no one to take me into the water. Yeah, but I'm crippled. Yeah, but I can't get there quick enough. Yeah, but my condition hinders me. Try this one on. Jesus, yeah, but also, yeah, but also I just got to figure this thing out. Jesus, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I just, I just need a new whatever. Jesus? Yeah, but also, man, I've been having this thing going on for my whole life. I've tried everything. Or have you just tried what's in your yeah, but also box? See, this is the... The yeah, but also box right here, okay? This is my yeah, but also box. You have one of these two. It's not as junior high boy as mine, but you got one. And inside of this box is our solution to whatever, or so we think it is. There's a solution to my illness in here, right? There's got to be. And so what we end up doing is we, we bury our heads in the box and we're like, I got it. If I could just find like the right, this guy, doctor guy, right? If I could just find him. We're looking for, I just need direction in my life. Is there any, is there direction in my life? I just need a map. Somebody give me a map. I'm feeling anxious, depressed. Man, we're more anxious and depressed than any other generation before us. And I'm sorry, but it's not all chemical. We weren't all born with it. We got so much stuff coming in from the outside. It's, it's making us more anxious, more depressed. And we're like, Jesus, yeah. But also, if I could just, I don't know, something make me feel better. I'm just, baby, this will make me feel better, right? Just numb out, right? I'll just forget about it. I'll just forget about it. My love life is a mess. My marriage, my relationship was a mess. Hey, Jesus is waiting for you. Jesus, yeah. But also, I just, I just need the new, the good guy. I just need the good girl. Just somebody give me the good Ariel with somebody else's dress on. That's what my daughter told me. Hey, there's trouble in the world. How about Jesus? Jesus, come. Yeah, Jesus. But also, we just need the right... Like, which one? Which one is it? There's never been more division than there is now. It's God. Which one is it? You believe this. You believe that. Jesus, yeah, but also maybe. It's the yeah, but also box. And we get trapped inside of this box with our head buried inside of this box. The solution to our problem is right in there. I just got to find it. I just need to get to those waters, the man said. 
Jesus, healer? Yeah, but I just need to, yeah, but also those waters. All right, I, I need a volunteer. Matt Mancy, Middle Eastern, good-looking man, come here. Happy birthday, by the way. Give Matt Mancy some love. You are my perfect Jesus. This is Jesus. Stand right here. Jesus didn't have a barber as good as yours probably, but you're playing Jesus, okay? All you have to do is act exactly like Jesus, okay? You're literally the perfect dude for this. This is awesome. Okay, this is Jesus. I'm going to move this stuff because I'm going to need you to stand over here in just a second. Okay, stand like right here, man. I mean Jesus. This is, everybody say hi, Jesus. All right, so this is Jesus, right? You don't have to do anything, actually. Well, you have to do something a little bit in a second. This Jesus, this is my yeah, but also box. Jesus comes. He's here. We're like, yes, Jesus, yes, but also. And here's what ended up happening. We are digging in this box, hoping to somehow have Jesus involved in what's happening. Now, let me ask you a question, Jesus. Can you get your whole self into this box? Okay. <laughs> Can you fit your whole being into this box? You're Jesus. You're not Matt. You're Jesus. Can you fit your whole being into this box? <laughs> you can? <laughs> no. The answer is no again. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe you're the wrong guy for this. <laughs> Just let me remind you of some things that you wrote in the Bible. The Bible says that you span the universe with the palm of your hand. So can you fit in the box? No. You can't fit in the box because you're, you span the universe in the palm of your hand. So that means if the universe is this big, then your box is really small. And if you're this big, then you don't fit inside of the box. Okay, you can't fit inside. Ladies and gentlemen, this went sideways. But Jesus cannot fit inside of the box. Jesus, let me just please God. Let me ask you one more time. Can you fit inside the box? No. Thank you. Jesus does not fit inside the box. Like, and like actually, you actually can't fit in here too, right? That's why I made the box this size because you can't fit inside. Jesus does not fit inside the box. Jesus doesn't confine himself to the yeah, but also box. Jesus lives. He exists outside of the box. Okay? Matt was thinking like, dude, I can do whatever I want. Of course I can fit in the box because I'm Jesus. I understand. But Jesus spans the universe with the palm of his hand. He is bigger he supersedes our boxes, okay? And here's what ends up happening. We, we're digging our, our heads inside of here, right? We're inside. We're like, we're looking for said thing. We're like, I got to find it. There's some way I'm working hard. I can find this. And then Jesus is tapping you on the shoulder. Tap me on the shoulder, Jesus. He's tapping you. Keep tapping me. He's tapping you on the shoulder. And you're like, hold on, Jesus. Hold on just a minute. I'm looking at, I got to, I'm almost, keep tapping me. Keep tapping. I'm almost there. Jesus, I'm almost, and once we're exhausted, we're like, whew, all right, I got no more options. Jesus, thank you. And he's like, hey, would you invite me into your situation? Brother, you're sick. Do you want to be made well? Would you invite me into your situation? We're like, actually, can you help me find what I'm looking for in my box? Okay, give Jesus a hand. Thank you, Matt. 
This is what the sick man did, right? It's exactly what we do. Jesus, the supernatural living water shows up, and this dude wants him to give him a ride to the pool. Let me say it again. Jesus, the source of all supernatural living water shows up, and this guy wants Jesus to give him a ride to the pool. Jesus, can you just help me with what I got going on here? His head so deep inside the box that he couldn't even see Jesus for who he was. We are so convinced that we can eventually resolve it ourselves or so uninterested in a life of supernatural faith that we are unable to hear or see Jesus when he shows up. Or some of us do the opposite. Same results come at it a different way. We bury our heads in the box, not because we're working tirelessly to find a solution, but because we are hiding, thinking that if we bury ourselves, maybe it'll just all go away. Meanwhile, Jesus is standing here offering us a better way outside of our box. This dude had a good plan. Good plan. I like a good plan. I pride myself on my good plans. But sometimes Jesus is outside and certainly better and bigger than our good plans. It's like, Lord, there's good stuff in here, in my box and in my plan. Just help me find it, Lord. Sometimes we treat Jesus less like a savior and more like a servant. We want him to not be our healer. We're just hoping he'll be our helper. To do my plan, what I got figured out. At which point, Jesus becomes a glorified chauffeur to get us to the answer. That's not Christianity, though, right? That's self-righteousness with like a, a nod to Jesus, like the, the dude at the Grammys, just like, I did this, oh yeah, and Jesus, right? That's all that is. Jesus is not our chauffeur to the answer. Jesus is the answer. In John chapter 6, next chapter, the disciples are in a storm, in the water. They're scared. Jesus comes walking on the water, and Jesus doesn't just bring peace to them. Jesus is peace. He gets in the boat, and everything immediately is better. They're, they're, they're at the destination they're supposed to go to. John chapter 14, Thomas is like, Jesus, we don't even know how to get to the Father. You haven't even told us the way yet. And Jesus is like, Thomas, I am the way. In John chapter 6 again, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. And so all of these broke and hungry people, all the broke and hungry people say amen. All these broke and hungry people show up hoping Jesus will give them some food. And he's like, I am the bread. I am the bread. And then in John 11, Lazarus, his friend, gets so sick that he dies. It's done. It's over. There is no more hope. You've been there? Some of you there right now, you're like, it's, it's done, man. I don't see any more hope for this. The opportunity is passed. The chance is gone. The relationship is done. The ship has sailed. It's done. It's dead. It's over. And there is no life after death. And you're right. There is no life after death inside of our yeah, but also box. But Jesus is life after death, and he doesn't live inside our box. Honestly, 
I like my box. I like this junior high boy box with my fluorescent teal. And I like my box where I have a plan and I'm working stuff out. I value engineering things. I value that. I'm good at it. I can figure stuff out. I'm a creative. I can create things. I can fix stuff. I value that. I like my box. And when I'm working at it, it makes me feel like I'm getting something done. And quite frankly, it's nice because sometimes it seems like Jesus has taken forever before it seems like he shows up and he's doing something. Anybody else ever felt like that? And so I'm like, well, I got to do something. It makes me feel like I'm maybe in a little bit of control or something. For some of us, it's like, if I can just avoid it, then at least I don't have to think about it. So we bury our heads in the box. But Tom, isn't there good stuff in the box? Like, Jesus, doesn't he use some of this stuff? Yeah, Jesus uses some of this stuff. Absolutely. Jesus often uses natural things to accomplish supernatural purposes. More often than not, Jesus uses us, his people, to be the agents of miraculous intervention in someone else's life. But that's not the point. The point is, what is your head buried in? What are your eyes fixed on and what are your hands clinging to? Because it's either the box or Jesus. It's either supernatural, eternal, or temporal, natural. Part of what hit me so hard in this passage at the beginning of my sabbatical was kind of a theme throughout is that this dude had been sick for 38 years. And as some of you know, I've had a lot of physical health problems, um, especially the last several years. And they think that all of it stems back to uh, the day after I was born when I went into septic shock and uh, my body became septic and I started, I was dying. And uh, they had to take me from my parents, put me in a helicopter, rush me across Los Angeles trying to save my life. There was tubes in my head and my stomach and my palate and my mouth um, trying to save me. And uh, they think that all of the, my issues came from, from then. My doctor said it to me like this, Dominic, you've been, you've been sick since day one and have been fighting to stay alive since day one. And even a lot of my emotional stuff goes back to like the trauma from that in my brain. 38 years ago, I'm 38. For 38 years, I've been sick in some way. And like this man, I've been working hard to get to the bottom of it. Like this man, I have had a really good plan. But like this man, I have not seen the results as quickly or as thoroughly as I would have liked. Quite frankly, I was just waiting for the right person and the right remedy, just like him. And the right people and the good remedies, man, they're fine. The stuff in this box is not innately evil, but it demands something from us. It demands our attention and our commitment. And we so often become so sidetracked with it and our search for the right whatever or avoiding the situation so much that we become blinded to see our need for Jesus. And what I see in this passage is that Jesus is the right person. Jesus is the good remedy. I've never even asked Jesus to heal me. I'm going to be honest, dude. Of my, like, emotional trauma stuff in my brain and then my physical stuff, 
I've never even asked them to heal me. I don't know if it's because I lack faith. I've prayed for people they haven't been healed. Or I think maybe my problems aren't big enough. Jesus doesn't care. He's got, if he's going to only heal three people, it should be somebody else. I don't know why. I don't ask him to be my healer, but I do ask him to help me. I'm like, Jesus, can you help me? I got a good plan. I just can't. I need a little, just a little help. Can you come help me? I want him to be my helper, not my healer. But Jesus is not just our helper. He is our healer. He is not something. He is everything. I find it interesting that uh, Jesus asked this guy if he wants to be made well. Like the dudes at the healing waters pool, of course he wants to be made well. Jesus, why are you asking him this question? Well, maybe Jesus asked because he knew that sometimes we say we want to be made well, but we actually don't. Sometimes it's easier for us to stay sick than it is for us to be made whole. Especially sometimes for the person who's had something for a really long time, like 38 years. And it's kind of become a part of who you are. It's kind of become part of your identity. And so sometimes it's easier and more comfortable living with it than it would be living without it. Or maybe Jesus asked him if he wanted to be made well because... Once you're made well, you don't have any excuses anymore. It's like when you got a cold and you stay up in your bedroom and your spouse like brings you meals in bed and you just like welcome the servantness because you got a good excuse. But we all know that once you get better, you can't just pull that card anymore. You got to like step up. If this dude got healed, he would have to step up. Whatever that would mean for him. Do you want to be made well, Jesus asked him. It's almost like it's a requirement, it sounds like to me. Like if, if, a guy, if, a guy, if the guy would have said no, then Jesus would have been like, okay. And he wouldn't have pushed. It certainly seems like he wanted to be made well. But Jesus maybe knew that someone could want to be made well, but only as long as the wellness fit inside of their box. Was this guy even open to supernatural intervention that didn't require him doing something? Maybe he doesn't want to give up his plan. I mean, he had worked for a long time hard on this plan. I'm not saying his plan was bad. Jesus certainly could have used all the same things in his plan. He could have used people. He could have used the healing water. I mean, Jesus used spit and mud to heal the blind man. Jesus certainly could have used the healing waters. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that you can only hold on to one thing. You either hold on to your plan or you hold on to Jesus. You can only start one place when you're looking for your healing, when you're looking for your resolution. If you didn't hear uh, Tim's sermon last week, you should go listen to it. But one thing he talked about was, uh, gave this analogy of a jar. Like you've got a jar and you can only put so much stuff in the jar. And you've got rocks, you've got sand, you've got pebbles. The sand and the pebbles represent all the things that are not that important in life, the less significant things. The rocks represent your relationship with Jesus, the most important thing. If you put in the sand and pebbles first, you fill it all the way up to the top with sand and pebbles, all the less important things, and then you try to just fit in Jesus on top of that, you can't get him in there. Your life is full of other things. On the other hand, if you put in the rocks first, Jesus, your relationship with him, 
and then you pour in the sand and pebbles, they still get in there. They find their way around the cracks. They fill up. They're still in there. They just don't have the preeminent place any longer. Preeminent, it means first place. Colossians 1.18 says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent. Jesus is preeminent, first place. But until we allow him to be first place in our lives, we will constantly be overtaken by the lesser things. And so this guy had a choice to make. Does he grab hold of Jesus and let go of his box, his plan? Or does he do vice versa? Because he can only hold on to one. And I imagine him, he's sitting there, He's looking at the water. He's got a good sight, right? Because the water would rise quick and then it would go away and you had to be the first one in. So this dude is intently looking. He has to be. He's, in, he's focused. He's on the water. He's looking at the water. Jesus comes in. He doesn't come through the water. Jesus comes from outside, right? So the water's ahead of me. My plan's ahead of me. My yeah, but also box is ahead of me. And Jesus is coming from behind. And in order for him to look at Jesus, Jesus tapping on the shoulder, hey, do you want to be made well? The dude's got to turn and look to Jesus. But you can't look at two places at one time. This is the definition of repentance. It means to turn around. If you're going to look at Jesus, then you are going to forsake your yeah, but also box. You can't look at two things like that, opposing things at the same time, nor can you hold on to Jesus and your yeah, but also box because Jesus does not fit inside of your yeah, but also box. Do you want to be made well? Church, are you willing to give up that part of your identity that is attached to the unresolved circumstance and has become a part of who you are? Are you willing to give up your excuses? Are you willing to be healed even if all of your hard work is not used in the process? And are you willing to let go of the box your head buried inside, hiding, you buried inside, just trying to figure the thing out in order to grab hold of Jesus. Because I can't, if this Jesus, I can't grab hold of him and hold my box at the same time, and he doesn't fit in here. I must let go of my box, turn my attention to Jesus, and grab hold of him. I can't do both. And he designed us to be most at peace and most in joy when we are holding on to him and him alone. He can and will use things from inside the box to accomplish his purposes. The items are not the issue. The issue is when our hearts allow those things to have preeminence. When the doctor is the first call instead of Jesus. When Google is the first search instead of Jesus. When my friends are the first inquiry instead of Jesus. When my spreadsheet is my first plan instead of Jesus. The issue is the heart. When the bottle, the, the box of food... The entertainment, 
the smartphone, the streaming service on my TV is my go-to instead of Jesus. Those things are not evil, but they can become idolatrous when they're the first thing that we go to. It's been on my heart lead for the last I don't know, several months leading into 2020 that I felt like 2020 was going to be a year of 2020 vision where people were going to begin to see things that they hadn't seen before, things that were blurry were going to come into focus. And I'm praying that for you. But here's the deal with 2020 vision. It does not come from without. It comes from within. It requires a changing of our eyesight in order to see clearly, specifically like Jesus. When we attempt to comprehend our circumstances with earthly temporal eyes, then we can only come to earthly temporal conclusions about our circumstances. On the other hand, if we comprehend our circumstances through heavenly eternal eyes, then we begin to come to heavenly eternal conclusions. I don't know if Jesus will miraculously heal you or your situation today, but I do know that when we surrender, we let go. And we look to and grab hold of Jesus that everything starts to make a lot more sense. I still got unresolved issues in my life. I probably always will. I feel like I'm in the storm still on the boat like the disciples. But I know this. When I invite Jesus into my boat, I start seeing, oh, this isn't just a storm. This, this thing's working on me. It's growing me. I'm becoming more like Jesus because of it. I'm, be, I'm being refined like gold because of it. I start to see like Jesus because I brought him into the boat like the disciples did. But if I don't let Jesus into the boat, all I can see is the storm. And so it's a daily thing. It's got to be a daily thing. This dude was healed of his infirmity, went home and never had to think about his infirmity again. He never had to think about focusing his eyes on Jesus, letting go of his box, turning toward Jesus again. But you know what happened? A month later, he got in a fight with his wife. His kids were rebelling. He hit some financial hardship. And he had to remember, oh, yeah, I can't be looking inside my yeah, but also box for this either. I got to turn to Jesus. It was a daily thing. It had to be for him. How do I know this? Because humanity is humanity. It's the same stuff. We're always going to have something going on. And so it has to be a daily thing where we are constantly reorienting our eyes back toward Jesus. And it's not going to happen by you coming to church once a week. It's not going to happen by you reading the verse of the day on your Bible app on your phone. We don't read Bible just to like check it off a list or as an afterthought. It should be at the top of our list because we got to read Scripture until Jesus comes off the pages and becomes so big and glorious that his glory overshadows our problems. That's why we read. That's why we read our Bibles every day. We don't just pray because it's like culturally what we do. We pray before meals and before bed. No, man, we pray until our thoughts start to sync up with the thoughts of God, which means then our hearts follow and begin to step in time with God's heart and God's desires. It changes our perspective when we read our Bibles and we pray. We got to see like him. But that means that we got to start with him. The solution to your problem might be inside the box. Jesus might use that, but where are you starting? Where does the search start with? And I think today Jesus asks us, will you let go of your box in order to grab hold of me?
I want to end by encouraging us with these scriptures right here. He who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And this same God who takes care of me, Paul said, will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and God will give you everything that you need. And lastly, God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, many of us today, probably most of us, maybe all of us, are in need of some reorienting, some changing of our focus, some letting go of that which has overshadowed you and grabbing hold of you. I want to invite you as we're praying, church, to just put your hands out in front of you, your palms up as if you were simultaneously letting something go and receiving something better. Actually, let's do this. Let's start with our hands closed like a fist, like fists. This is how we live most often. I've got my plan. I know the right way. For some of us, this holding tight is actually a neglect of thinking about anything and just pretending it'll all go away. Whatever it is, so-and-so, such-and-such is the solution. We hold it tight. Uh, If you are willing today, I would invite you to open your hands and let that thing go. And in exchange, receive Jesus. Jesus, we want you to be our healer, not just our helper. You are the source of all living water. We don't want you to just give us a ride to the mineral water. Right now, during the second set, come to the carpets and surrender to Jesus. Get on your knees, get on your face, surrender to him. Come and grab the communion elements. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And as you partake of the bread and the cup and ingest it, would you ingest Jesus? Would you take him in so much so that you don't have room for anything else? And if you need to be healed, the Bible says come and ask for prayer. And the prayer of faith will heal you. There are people on the right and the left who would love nothing more than to pray for you. And if you don't know Jesus today, you came in here, not a Christian. Maybe you got brought by a friend or something. Listen, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart knocking. He's saying, let me in. I want to come and dine with you. I want to invite you into my family. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why he rose from the dead. To forgive all your sins. The sins against you. The sins done to you. To wash them away so you can be clean and come into his family. He invites you in today. The people on the right and the left would love to lead you to Jesus and just talk to him with you. 
to receive him today. Let's respond now.